Well, howdy, Tessa. What's good, Jesse? Hello, hello, and welcome everyone to the Spooky Soup Podcast. It has been quite the the minute. A hot minute. We apologize for how long it's taken us to upload, but uh, we're trying our best with our personal lives and trying to get things scheduled. Uh, but I have a pretty good story for you guys today. Oh boy, I'm excited. Just wanted to let everyone know that any pictures that we post for today's episode, those will be on our Instagram, Spooky Soup Podcast. And fake stories that you would like to write into us, please do so. You can DM those to us on our Instagram or email them to us at SpookySoupPodcast801 at gmail.com. Heck yeah, please do it. And just wanted to quickly thank everyone who stuck around and waited for this next episode. We've both had some major life changes happening so far as work and homes and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. we're excited to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, my story is short, but it's, I mean, there's not much to it. There's a lot of things that are involved with it, but the way I have it written is not super long. So I'm hoping that you have some awesome stories today. I do. So I actually have four stories. Sweet. They are progressively longer and longer and scarier and scarier. So I put them in order of that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And the first one is a personal experience of something kind of morbidly funny that happened last night. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Before you get started on your story, I just wanted to point out that I'm wearing a super cool t-shirt. You guys can't see it, but it's Michael Myers, but he's a samurai. Just it's a, so cool. Just, I want one. Yeah, go get it. I will. It's like a, a good t-shirt to start the spooky season. At least in our household, Halloween starts September 1st. Same. 100%. Same. Can't have enough time, but it's still like 100 degrees in Utah right now. So it's really annoying. <laughs> And the days are short, too. So it's like getting dark at 7 and it's still 104 out. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the crap? <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I am ready to be spooked. All right, let's get into it. Okay. All right, so this first story is my story. Mm-hmm. My morbid, funny story. So last night was the Kansas concert, which, you know, carry on my wayward son. Nice. Yeah. So we were there listening. The music was great. Suddenly... We see this ambulance come in and we're like, crap, we are surrounded by old people. This is their 50th anniversary tour. (laughs) (laughs) Sure enough, an old guy gets pulled out on a stretcher. And as they're pulling him away, believe me or not, I'm not kidding you. They start playing Dust in the Wind. (laughs) Oh, no way. (laughs) He did. I'm not even joking. I was like, I told Colin, I was like, wouldn't it be funny if they played Dust in the Wind? Boom. They start playing it. <laughs> Do you think they did that on purpose? They saw the guy. I don't being... think they even saw him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This guy probably had a heart attack from how awesome the concert was or something. Probably. He's like, this is my dream my entire <laughs> life. And then he's like, yep, I'm going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> like See slowly passing away to dust <laughs> in the wind. I honestly can't think of a better transition song. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. But I, okay. I lost it. I was laughing so hard and I felt bad. But at the same time, I was like, when does this happen? This never happens. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Dust in the wind. Cool. Like uh, when Bill and Ted meet so crates. Oh, <laughs> yeah, like, that's right. Say something, man. 
All we are is dust, dust in, in the, the wind. wind. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Story number two is coming at you from r slash paranormal. It's posted by you slash suggestion relative 94. It's titled my dad's clock. And it is tagged as an experience. It says before my dad died, he bought a clock with a spinning part on the bottom. On the evening he died, it stopped spinning. My mom changed the battery and took it in for a repair, but couldn't find anything wrong in the span of the shop. Took it home, and it once again didn't spin, until it was his anniversary, and it span again. Oh, cool. Like, that's not spooky to me. That's, that's like, that's a cool story. What's <laughs> up, pops? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad. Nice. All right, story number two. We're getting a little bit longer, a little bit spookier. Mm -hmm. Again, from r slash paranormal, posted by you slash hushabye secret. It's called The House on Harrison Street. A few people responded to my comment on another post asking for the full story, so here it is. Growing up in the 90s, I spent most of my time outside playing with the neighbor kids. I didn't live in the greatest neighborhood, so I couldn't go out exploring all of my neighbors had kids my age except one. It was an old house with garbage across the yard and stuff piled up so high in the windows that you couldn't see inside. The only noticeable objects were an old Barbie camper and a teddy bear with a missing ear. I knew there was someone that lived there because their ugly, and I mean ugly, red Chevy car would leave the driveway right at noon and wouldn't come back until about 9 o'clock at night. One night, it came back, and the next day there was a young boy standing in the yard and shouting and waving at me. I was playing in an old dip in my backyard where the tree had been cut down when I saw him. I remember being confused, but I was a kid and was excited to meet someone new that was my age. I found out his name was Brandon, and I would always invite him to play outside after school. My mom didn't question me about my new friend, so she let him come play in the backyard. I never saw him at school and he said his grandma taught him from their house. I didn't want to play with the other neighborhood kids as much as I wanted to play with Brandon, so the two of us formed our own little group, and we played in that dip in my backyard. Nobody really questioned it until I told my mom that I wanted to have school at my house like Brandon did. She finally asked me where I met Brandon, and I told her that he lived in the dirty house on Harrison. I remember the look on my mom's face being confused and concerned at first, but then she laughed in my face and told me I was being ridiculous. Brandon was my imaginary friend because nobody had lived in that house since the 70s. I got mad at her and said that I would prove to her that Brandon was real and that he would be outside the next day, but he never showed up again. I waited for him every day, but I never saw him. Eventually, we moved across town into an apartment and I made new friends and forgot about Brandon. But a few years ago, I felt nostalgic and decided to go for a drive through my old neighborhood. Not much had changed, and seeing the old neighborhood made me happy and brought back a lot of fun memories until I passed the old house. It was obviously abandoned, but after all these years, the old Barbie camper and the teddy bear with the missing ear were still in the window. I saw that and laughed at how I'd stuck to the idea that my imaginary friend was real until I saw my ball. An old ball with my name written on it in big black ink was clearly visible from the window. The rainbow colors made it stick out like a sore thumb. I'd lost that ball around the time I'd first met Brandon. Maybe one of the neighbor kids had stolen it years ago and 
hidden it away and I was just now noticing it. Maybe Brandon was just a figment of my overactive childhood imagination. Or maybe there was someone watching me back then and I was too innocent to see anything else other than a new friend. Thinking about it now, it does creep me out. But more than anything, I wish I had answers. If he really was real. If he was another kid playing a prank. Or if he was just a lost spirit. And it bothers me that I'll never have the answers, but I'll always have the memories. As creepy as the memories are, they do make me happy and pique my curiosity. Creepy. Right? It so reminded huh. me of Monster House. Like yeah. how it has the basketball on the front uh -huh. porch that bounces. <laughs> that's uh yeah, that's a great way to depict it. I started watching um Sleepy Hollow again. The T V show, not the movie. Okay. And have you seen it? It's been a minute. Okay. Yeah. There's an episode where they go to this old house that's run down and there's like this, you know, the house has been overcome with branches and come to find out those branches are like part of this like tree monster. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> that sounds anyway, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's a fun show. Seasons uh, one and two are the best. And then it kind of go goes downhill from there, in my opinion, because the bad guys, the headless horseman. So yeah. there's only one, you know? Yeah. Uh, anyways, so that house, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Cool. Dope. <laughs> All right. Our last story is from r slash backwoods creepy. And you know, I love me a good backwoods creepy story. Absolutely. This was posted by you slash key lifeguard 2772. I was a park ranger stationed in a fire tower. It had a strange set of rules. When I first got the job, I couldn't believe my luck. I was a very solitary person. I loved to read and be alone. When I saw an ad for a park ranger manning a fire tower, I just about jumped out of my skin. Working overnight at a Walmart wasn't exactly the best job in the world. There's some stories I could tell about that as well, but I applied for the job and was ecstatic to get it. They made me do a week of training before my first shift. Most of it was dry reading and making sure I qualified in CPR. They showed me the job's ins and outs, and I followed in my car as we drove to the tower. In the middle of the day, it was awe-inspiring to stare up at the underside of the tower, looming above me suspended high in the air by metal pylons. Once I started climbing the narrow metal stairs, with hints of rust at the edges, I was somewhat less than excited. In fact, I was terrified. I don't like heights very much. It's not like I go all vertical or anything. It's just I prefer to stay on the ground. Once we reached the top and pushed open the trap door to get onto the deck that surrounded the tower, I was doing a little better. I opened the door that led into the tower's interior. Looking around the room made me forget all about the terrible climb. It was like a small apartment. There was a small refrigerator, a sink, counter, cupboards, and even a small table. In the center of the room was a table with a map permanently attached to it. Of course, there were windows all around. There was a 360 degree view as you would expect for a fire t as you expect for a fire tower in the middle of a state park. The view was absolutely stunning. I could see the peaks and valleys for miles in every direction. It was a photographer's dream. The other ranger explained what was expected of me. We worked 24-hour shifts, so there would be times I would have to sleep but I had to set an alarm to get up to scan for problems at least one per hour during the night. During daytime hours, I had to scan every 30 minutes. There was a radio to report any trouble, 
and a phone in case I needed to call the fire department. In my mind, I was already drooling at the thought of getting paid to take amazing pictures and sit around reading books. The ranger told me that it was extremely important that I read the rule book first thing. He asked if I had any questions, and I said no. He reinforced that I could not leave the tower no matter what until I was relieved. I followed him down the narrow staircase to get my supplies from my car. He got in his truck and hesitated for a moment, as if he wanted to say something else. Then he shut the door, wished me well, and drove away. It took me three trips to get all my stuff up to the top. At home, it's nothing to bring a few boxes of groceries into the house. Here, it's life and death. I was near the top with the box in front of me when I stumbled on one of the narrow steps and nearly fell over the side. I paused for a long moment to regain my balance before continuing up. It suddenly struck me that this job might not be the cakewalk I thought it was. I pushed that thought to the back of my mind and went for my next two loads. Basic supplies, books, phone chargers, camera, it all occupied the second and last trips. Once I was up for good, I collapsed into the chair. I was on my way to nap when I heard static on the radio. I jumped up and grabbed it. Hello? I said, but no one answered. I figured this was a ranger's subtle way of reminding me it was time to do a check. But lugging three loads up the tiny stairs of death had put a serious crimp in my fire watch time. In fact, it had been nearly an hour since the ranger left. I did my slow pan around the room, checking each part of the forest for smoke and seeing nothing. Having successfully completed my first go-around, I celebrated with a bottle of water while I put the groceries away. The cupboards weren't empty, but they weren't a gourmet's delight either. Nearly a full shelf of baked beans didn't exactly thrill me, but I had the supplies that should do me for a few shifts. I sat the bread on the counter and loaded the cold cuts in the fridge. I would get some more options the next time I went shopping. By the time I finished putting things away, it was time for another check. The sun was starting to set, so I grabbed my camera and took some amazing pictures. I couldn't wait to upload them to my computer at home. As I looked around the room, my eyes landed on the manual. I realized I hadn't read it yet. I sighed and took it over to the chair. I was sure it would have me out cold in no time. As I opened the book, a piece of notebook paper fell out. I picked it up and it read, The Real Rules. Never, under any circumstances, leave the fire tower until you are relieved. Turn off all lights between the hours of 2 and 3 a.m. If you receive a radio transmission or phone call between those hours, do not answer. If anyone knocks on the trap door during those hours, tell them they have to wait until morning. Do not open the door. If you see a glowing object floating toward the tower, don't look at it. Cover your eyes and count to 50. When you open your eyes, it should be gone. If not, cover and count to 50 again. If animals surround the tower, don't go down to look. Fire your flare gun into the air twice, one minute apart, then lock yourself in the bathroom and hope for the best. I sat the note down and stared at it. Was this a joke? Were they having some fun with the new guy? I wasn't looking forward to getting hazed at two o'clock in the morning. I put the note back in the book and skimmed through the manual. It was a real snooze fest of standard rules and nonsense. For the next check, I decided to use binoculars. I was rewarded by seeing a bear and three deer. I pulled out my camera and took some pics, but the zoom wasn't quite as much as I needed to get some really good shots. You could tell it was a bear, but it was still a little blurry. 
I decided to go camera shopping with my first paycheck. What's the use of having this spectacular view if I can't take good pictures of it? Soon after sunset came the twilight. The sky lit up a brilliant orange. I took some more pictures and did my scan, and I was just about to go inside when I noticed a thin wisp of smoke in the distance. I grabbed my binoculars and tried to get a better view, but there were too many trees in the way. I pulled out my compass and got a general direction, then grabbed the radio and called the ranger on duty. I told him I had a fire and gave him the direction and general distance. He acknowledged and said he would go out to check. I stayed glued to my binoculars, waiting to see the smoke lessen. Minutes seemed to take an eternity as the smoke continued to rise. Nearly a half hour later, the radio came to life. Hey, rookie, the ranger said. Did you find it? Did you put it out? I still see the smoke. Did I tell you the wrong place? I said into the radio. Whoa there, he said. Everything's fine. It's just a campfire. A what? Campfire, he said. Nothing to worry about. A campfire? I repeated it in a daze. Yeah, you'll want to see more smoke, and it should be a lot thicker and darker before you call it in. I stood in silence, my face beat red with embarrassment. Cheer up, the ranger said in into the silence. At least you didn't call the fire department. I looked over at the phone, knowing I was mere minutes from doing that very thing. Yeah, thanks, I said. Sorry about that. Don't worry, kid, he said. At least you're erred on the side of caution, instead of letting the forest burn down. I put my face in my palm and shook my head. So much for a good first impression. Twilight had faded, leaving a few last vestiges of light as the clouds transformed from dirty gray to black. I began to realize just how alone I was out here when the canopy of night fully fell. Doing my checks from inside was nearly impossible. I had lights on, and every window I looked out became a mirror of me looking back at myself. Alone in the wooden box suspended a hundred feet above the ground made it that much creepier. I stepped out into the deck in the cool evening air. The total darkness was oppressive. I couldn't see anything. How was I supposed to see smoke? I did a slow walk around the deck, looking out blindly at the trees. As my eyes adjusted, I was able to make out some shapes of the mountains and even the soft glow of the distance of the nearest town. That was a small comfort to know that things still existed out in the world, and I hadn't been plunged into this cover of darkness. I finished my check and stepped back inside. After being in the darkness, it was way too bright. I turned off the main overhead light and the light over the entrance. The room settled into a comfortable glow with enough light to see, but not blind. In fact, it was a little too cozy. I felt a nap coming on. I lay down on the surprisingly comfortable cot and closed my eyes. I woke sometime later to static sounding on the radio. I reached for the radio to answer, but something in the back of my mind told me not to. I looked at my watch and it said 2.12 a.m. I froze. Looking around the lit room, I thought about the strange rules I read earlier. I reached up and turned off the light, plunging the room into darkness. As my eyes adjusted to the darkness and looking out the window, I swear I saw someone peering in at me. Just then, I heard static on the radio. There was a voice trying to get through, but it seemed too weak. I waited to see if they would call again. A minute later, static sounded. Beneath it, I heard the voice. It was a little stronger this time, and I could just make it out. Help me, it said in a feeble yet distant voice. Ugh. I reached for the radio, <clears throat> but something made me glance at my watch first. It was 2.23 a.m. I faltered and didn't answer. 
Those creepy rules, I thought. What if they're real? I've already broken one by having the lights on. What happens when you break the rules? I sat in silence, wanting to know the answer, but at the same time not wanting to know. The radio call came through much more clearly this time. Help me. Can't anyone hear me? I need help. The voice sounded desperate. I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. It had a strange quality that I couldn't quite place. I fought the urge to answer, not knowing if I would be fired for dereliction of duty or not. This is what I was out here for. I needed to answer, but my mind just wouldn't let go of those rules. The minutes ticked like hours. Three more times the radio sounded out of its plea, each time sounding more desperate. I watched the time, counting the seconds until three. When the time finally came, I picked up the radio. Whoever was calling for help, please state your position so I can relay help to you, I said. Who is this? came the answer on the radio. This is the park ranger manning a fire tower. Well, park ranger, I've been on this channel all night and yours is the first voice I've heard. That's not possible, I thought. I've had several calls for help over the last hour, I said. Are you sure? Absolutely. I wrote down the time of each call. Then why didn't you answer them until now? I paused. What could I say? Because a weird list of rules told me not to? Ranger? I had, I said hesitantly, extenuating circumstances. Extenuating circumstances, the voice repeated, as though tasting them. And what circumstances would those be? Whoever this was, wasn't going to let it go. I'm not at liberty to say. You mean like falling asleep and breaking the rules, the voice said, sounding deeper, raspier, and more menacing. I froze. I hadn't turned the lights on yet, leaving the room in eerie darkness that left me feeling very exposed. I slowly panned around, looking out the windows, and remembering the earlier feeling of being watched. You can look all around you want, but you won't see me, the voice said. It's after three, I said, hoping the terror I felt wasn't evident in my voice. You have no power over me. The voice chuckled. It wasn't a pleasant sound. Normally, you would be correct. However, you broke the rules. What if I didn't know about the rules, I said, grasping at straws. <laughs> nice try, but you knew you should be safe after three. Dang, it picked up on that. <laughs> So, what do you want? I said, fearing the answer. We are hungry, the voice said. Only now it sounded like many voices speaking at once. Come down and let us feed. My legs turned to rubber as I stumbled over to the door and stepped out onto the deck. The moon was rising half full, casting light into the darkness. I looked down and saw over a dozen large animals surrounding the tower in a circle, and each one of them was looking at me. I dove back inside and locked the door. I frantically searched for a flashlight. Once I found it, I picked up the phone to call the ranger station. There was no dial tone. I hung up and tried again, but still nothing. I pulled out my cell phone, but there was no signal. I paused to clear my head. Okay, I thought. You're freaked out right now, but what's actually happened? A weirdo on the radio, some animals around the tower. You're just being paranoid. Just then, I looked outside and there was light off in the distance that looked like an airplane. The problem was, it was headed straight toward me. It was mesmerizing. I found myself staring into the rapidly approaching glow until I realized it was going to hit the tower. 
I found the best cover I could on the opposite side of the room and surrounded myself with as much furniture as possible. Being that the furnishings were sparse, that meant I dragged the chair over in front of me. I covered my eyes and hoped for the best. I may or may not have mumbled one of those, I promise I'll be good if you get me out of this, prayers. <laughs> the seconds tumbled into minutes. Nothing happened. I peeked over the edge of the counter and the light was gone. I breathed a sigh of relief and wondered why I hadn't heard any engine sound. I decided it was because I was too busy ducking for cover. Then it hit me. I grabbed the manual and pulled out the list of rules. There it was, rule number five. If you see a glowing object floating toward the tower, don't look at it. Cover your eyes and count to 50. When you open your eyes, it should be gone. If not, cover and count to 50 again. I read over the rules again and realized how many had come to pass. For a long moment, I thought that maybe it was an elaborate joke. Some of the rangers yanking the rookie's chain. But there was too much I couldn't explain. The radio transmissions, the glowing light, the animals. Then I realized I had broken that rule too. I hadn't fired the flare gun as instructed. I dug through the cupboard where the emergency supplies were kept and found the gun. I grabbed two flares and stepped out onto the deck. As I questioned the intelligence of firing flares that could end up causing a forest fire when I was supposed to be trying to prevent them, I heard a strange sound. I held my breath and cocked my ear for a better listen. It wasn't just one sound, it was many. I glanced over the side of the rail toward the ground and saw the animals all growling and pawing at the ground, making themselves in a frenzy. I backed away and loaded the first flare, then pointed up and fired. It rose majestically, glowing blood red until gravity slowed its ascent and pulled it back to earth. I watched closely to make sure not only that it went out, but where it landed just in case. I waited a minute and fired the second flare, watching where it landed as well. I stepped back inside and hid in the bathroom as instructed. I knew in my heart that I was safe from the animals as long as I didn't go down the stairs. The radio sounded off, scared me nearly half to death. Fire tower number five, the voice said. Have seen your flares, I'm on my way. Are you physically injured? No, not at the moment, I said. I'll explain when you get here. Roger that. I tried to calm my nerves, but thinking about what job I would apply for next and how unfortunate it was that this one didn't work out. I thought about what I was going to tell the ranger when he got here. I couldn't tell him the truth, but what else could I say? There were some animals at the bottom of the tower that scared me. <laughs> yeah, right. I honestly considered calling him back and telling him not to come when I felt heavy footsteps on the bottom stairs of the tower. I must have been daydreaming and let time slip by. I stepped out of the bathroom and went to the trap door. Are you here already? I said into the radio as I reached down to unlatch the trap door. That was fast. What are you talking about? Came the clear answer over the radio. I'm not there yet. I paused as I felt the footsteps come closer. Where are you? I said quietly. I can barely see the tower. I'm probably a mile away. His words hit me like a sledgehammer. I looked down at the bolt I was about to unlatch and pulled my hand back very quickly. Which direction are you coming from? I said. Southeast. I looked in that direction and sure enough I could see headlights approaching. The radio sounded again but with a slightly different voice. Tower, ignore that last transmission, it said. I'm already here, let me in please. I stared down at the trapdoor as though it wanted to bite me. 
Tower, let me in, it said. I backed away as something began beating on the trap door with tremendous force. The board shook with every impact. I stepped inside and locked the door, then barricaded it with my only loose piece of furniture, the chair. Tower 5, Tower 5, I don't know who that is talking to you, but it isn't me. Do not open that door. Repeat, do not open that door. I backed into the bathroom with a flare gun in hand and locked the door. The pounding on the trap door became louder. I knew it wouldn't take much more of a beating. The whole room shook with every impact. I closed my eyes and prayed in earnest this time. And then my salvation came in the form of the engine sound of a pickup truck. I knew the real ranger was here. I listened as it came closer and then stopped. There was an awful silence for a moment and then gunfire. Over and over, multiple shots in rapid succession. Then there was a lull followed by more shots. The pounding on the trapdoor had stopped as soon as the truck pulled up. The coast is clear, Ranger. You can open the door now, came a voice over the radio. I put my hand on the knob, smiling to go out and greet my savior. When I heard a weak transmission, Don't... <coughs> not me, it rasped. A heartbeat later, the screaming began. It was gut-wrenching screams of terrible suffering. I could hear it beneath me. All I could do was drop to the floor and curl up in a ball as the screaming went on and on. I closed my eyes and tried not to imagine that poor ranger being ripped to shreds. Soon the screams lessened in volume and intensity as though they were moving away. I rocked back and forth, hugging my knees until unconsciousness mercifully took me. I woke to strange voices calling my name. I opened my eyes and I was surrounded by people in blue uniforms. I panicked and backed away from them as fast as I could until my back hit the wall. Calm down, one of them said. It's all right. I looked around the room like an animal that had been backed into a corner. I was ready to fight. Are you injured? He said. My mind raced to remember where I was. I looked out the window and it was morning. The sun was shining and I could see blue clouds. Everything from last night came back to me in a rush. I looked around the room and saw nothing out of the ordinary. I'm not injured, I said to the EMT. Can you tell us what happened here? A ranger said from behind him. I looked over at the manual that contained the list of rules and for a heartbeat considered telling him to read them. No, was all I said instead. Can I go home now? The ranger glared at me, wanting answers but not getting them. It's frustrating, I know. Is he all right to drive? The ranger asked the EMT. They gave me the once over, BP, lungs, heart rate. Didn't find anything out of the ordinary. I'd say physically he's fine, the EMT said. The ranger sighed. Go ahead. But I want to talk to you tomorrow. I nodded instead, gathered my things, and started toward the door. When I got to the open trap door, I hesitated, seeing it had been hacked open with an axe. I took a tentative first step, then another. Surviving a night as I had, only to fall down several flights of stairs would be quite ironic. As I made my way down, white-knuckling the railing the whole way, I saw people busy at the bottom. They were picking up shell casings with gloves and putting them into plastic bags. I could see spots of blood here and there, but no bodies, no humans, no animals. I saw the trail of blood as it disappeared into the woods. I stood on the bottom step for a long time, wondering if I was allowed to step onto the ground. I took the step and bolted for my car. I started it up and drove out of there as fast as I could. Just as I turned onto the gravel road, a deer walked out in front of me. I slammed on the brakes and slid to a stop mere inches from hitting it. It didn't move, 
just stood there staring at me. As I looked more closely, I could see blood on its nose and mouth. My heart skipped a beat when I saw a shred of ranger's patch impaled on one of its antlers. Its eyes bored into mine as I slammed into reverse, then drive, swerved around the deer, and broke every speed limit getting home. I called my boss and quit as soon as I got there. Then I packed and started looking for a job in the city. Maybe I can find a nice, quiet warehouse to guard. But if it has a set of strange rules, I'm walking out. No questions asked. What was it? <laughs> Scary animals that talk to you. <laughs> what the heck? Like and a like they, a windigo? Maybe. Creepy. What was it? <laughs> I just want to know. Uh, Redditor. Great story. But what was it? <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was a wendigo. Skinwalker. Yeah, probably skinwalker. Or because werewolf. Because I could talk to him. Or a werewolf. Yeah. A were-deer. Yeah, were-deer. <laughs> were-deer. <laughs> that was a great story. Yeah. I'll nice. go long. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I enjoy those long stories. So. Me too. Perfect. Anything backwoods. I'm here to listen. I don't care how long it takes. Nice. Well, okay. I'm excited to hear your story. Sounds fantastic. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. In May of 1999, a young teenage girl went to police to tell them she was being haunted by a ghost. Police thought this was a joke until she took them to an apartment filled with horrors no person should ever see. This is the story of the Hello Kitty murder. Okay, this, uh, this is awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're, you're excited to hear this one. Fan Man Yi was a victim of a horrible crime. It didn't help that she also had an incredibly rough life. Fan grew up in an all-girls orphanage because her family abandoned her and left her all on her own. After years in the system, she was eventually kicked out of the orphanage and left to live on the streets of Hong Kong at the very young age of 15 years old. Not knowing anyone or anywhere to go, she became homeless and gave in to the streets. She became addicted to drugs and paid for those drugs with prostitution. At the age of 21, she went to work in a brothel. Fan fell in love with one of her clients, who was also a drug addict, and they quickly got married. He was known for being incredibly abusive. Even their neighbors knew of the couple's issues because they could be heard throughout the night with their constant yelling and fighting. Planned or not, Fan gave birth to a son only two years after their marriage. Because of this, Fan wanted to pursue a better life for herself and her son, so she quit prostitution and drug use to become a hostess at the St. Brothel. Woohoo! <laughs> Promotion! Not, yeah. Not much of a difference, but I'm glad she was at least taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I can respect anyone trying to better their lives. Yeah, sure. Uh, especially with her background where nothing good had gone, you know, gone well in her life, so. Totally. Yeah. One day, Fan saw an opportunity to steal a wallet. She was desperate for money to provide for her and her son, even though she had a job, it still wasn't paying the best. This wallet belonged to a triad member named Chan Man Lok. 
After Chan left the brothel to buy dinner for himself, he quickly realized his wallet was missing. After returning to the brothel to locate it, Fan admitted to taking it and the money that was inside. It was a total of 4,000 Hong Kong dollars. That's roughly 500 US dollars. So, I mean, I would be mad too if someone tried to steal, you know, 500 bucks from me. Chan was enraged by this action and demanded not only the $4,000 back, but an extra $10,000 as a fee for what she had done. Oh, jeez. This put Fan in a very tight pinch. Chan, being the insane and horrible person that he is, gave Fan almost no time to come up with the extra 10000 Chan decided to have Fan kidnapped and tortured for his own sick desires because she couldn't pay him back. Oh my gosh. On March 17th, 1999, Fan Man Yi was abducted by Chan and three other people. Chan's two friends, Lung Wei Lun and Lung Xing Chou, and one more person, a 14-year-old girl named Ah Feng, who was being groomed by Chan. So not only is this dude like psycho, but he's also a pervert. He's a pedo. Yeah, pedo. The idea was to rent or pimp uh, Fan out to other men, but they decided to keep her for themselves. She was a slave to Chan and his henchmen. They took her to a rundown apartment where she was imprisoned for a month. Imagine a home that's been abandoned for years, you know, holes in the floor, unusable furniture, stains on mattresses, the lights aren't working, there's, you know, people come in and spray painted, uh, I'm guessing cobwebs everywhere, you know, cockroaches, and I'm sure the smell was horrid. Just imagine a scenario like that. I feel like I can taste it. Um, yeah, imagine that, but it's like 10 times worse. So they tortured, beat, and raped her for days on end. They tied her up like a punching bag and used all sorts of weapons to hurt her. Uh, metal pipes, kitchen utensils, furniture legs, and even like cleaning chemicals. They would just like spray on her, pour on her. Uh, pretty much any form of torture they were doing to her. That's awful. To make sure she couldn't physically escape, they burned hot plastics and candle wax on her legs and feet. Uh, they forced her to say that she was enjoying the torture and telling her to smile as bright as she can. If she didn't, they forced her to eat and drink human feces and urine. Oh my gosh. So what quite, the crap? <laughs> this is quite graphic, but uh, I just wanted to dive into, yeah, the horribleness that Chan and his and his uh, crew performed. It's pretty messed up. After a night of partying, Chan and his crew returned to the apartment where they kept Fan. Exhausted from late night entertainment, they went s straight to sleep. Unknowingly, Fan had succumbed to her injuries and passed away in the bathroom next to where they all slept. They didn't check on her for days. When they eventually did check on her, they completely freaked out as if they expected her to still be alive with all the trauma she had en endured. 
So yeah, I'm sure they weren't even feeding her food anyways. Exactly. So So like torture aside, she had nothing to live off of. Exactly. Oh my god. Chan and his crew realized they couldn't just walk out of the apartment building carrying a dead body, so they thought of a plan to dispose of her. To make sure no one else in the building could smell her rotting and de- decomposing body, they cut off all of her limbs and boiled them. They collected her internal organs, her head, and one tooth. Why? I'm not sure. The organs and tooth were put in bags and thrown into the freezer, while her head, well, that's why it's named the Hello Kitty murder. They placed her decapitated head inside of a Hello Kitty mermaid doll and sewed it shut. <gasps> uh-uh. Police were led to the apartment by Ah Fung, the 14-year-old that Chan was grooming. That's the person I mentioned at the very beginning who was seeing a ghost. She knew what the men were doing to Fan was horrible and just wrong, but she was too scared to say anything because she thought she was going to be next. And I'm sure being so young, she was like, well, this is just what they do. Sure. Or maybe they knew her family or something. I'd be scared too. Yeah. With the ghost of Fan Man Yi haunting Ah Fong's dreams, she eventually went to the police. Authorities made an immunity deal with her as long as she took them to the scene of the crime or the apartment. Apparently, the jury had a difficult time deciding the fate of these three men. They didn't know if Fan's death was caused by a drug overdose or if she was murdered. But it's pretty clear to me that she was definitely murdered even if she was on drugs at the time of her death. I mean, you don't OD and then cut your limbs off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All three men were convicted of manslaughter. During the sentencing, all three men showed zero remorse as if they were happy they did what they did. Scum. The judge, Justice Peter Nguyen, who sentenced them to prison for the rest of their miserable lives, said the following. Never in Hong Kong in recent years has a court heard of such cruelty, depravity, callousness, brutality, violence, and viciousness. This case was known as one of the worst crimes to ever have happened in Hong Kong. That is the Hello Kitty murder. I hate it. I hate it. I mean, like, you know, I love to, I live for this stuff. I live for the gory, but... I hate that. So unfortunate. Like, Fan had this miserable life. She was trying. She thought, you know, prostitution was pretty much the only thing she could really do. I mean, of course, that's not the only thing you can do to get money. But, um, you know, she was trying, and then she tried to better her life for her and her son. Her son? What happened to her son? I'm not sure. Oh, I'm sure no. he was probably given to the abusive dad or put it in the system like Fan was. She was missing too, so the kid would have been alone. Mm-hmm. Ugh, awful. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Sad yeah. stuff. Um, I wasn't a fan of Hello Kitty before. I'm definitely <laughs> not now. Yeah. Super, uh, yeah, gross. Terrifying. Sad and spooky. See, I always say that people are worse than any ghost or demon or witch story. It's always real life. That's scarier. Sure. Sure. There's a, that reminds me of the, the image of um, the diver and a shark. And it says this creature kills hundreds of people a year, thousands of people a year. 
and the other one is a shark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's the Hello Kitty murder. Jeez, well, I was planning on eating Lucky Slice for dinner, but maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I know some people hate jokes during morbid situations. It's how I cope. Same. Deal with it. Same. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for listening. We uh, we appreciate you all. And once again, you can check out these uh, images from the story on our Instagram. So go check them out there. Give us a follow. And uh, yeah, that's it. We will scare you in the next one. Stay spooky. <laughs>